0: real estate is just such a, in my opinion, there's just so many niches that really get a mentor that you must, with that is doing what you want to be doing.
1: Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is fun That Flip, and they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet you know who Fund That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best-ever listener. We've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times, giving us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you. Get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fund that flip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work analyze the profitability of the project or if it's not profitable you need to know that too and make a determination on the max purchase price super important you can print out all the detailed reports And that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We don't get into any fluff. We only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad Poor Dad, and a whole bunch of others. With us today, we're going to be talking to a financial planner as well as a real estate investor. How are you doing, Adam Torres?
0: Hey, Joe. I really appreciate you having me on the show. I'm doing fantastic.
1: Well, it's great to hear. And it's my pleasure and it's our pleasure as the Best Ever community. You're a financial planner and then you also have a real estate background. I'll let you talk a little bit more about that. But real quick, Best Ever listeners, just for some context, Adam is the CEO of of Century City Wealth Management. He just founded this 6 months ago. Prior to that, he was a wealth manager at a company and he oversaw over 200 million dollars worth of finances and allocated those finances towards various investments. So he's well versed in the financial realm and you can hear him in some publications or you might have seen him in Forbes and Investor Business Daily in The Street and Century City Wealth Management, his company he founded, is a firm dedicated towards the needs of families, organizations, foundations, and public funds based in sunny Los Angeles, California. With that being said, Adam, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
0: Absolutely, Joe. First of all, just to let you know, some people, I think, choose their professions. I kind of feel like mine chose me. So managing money and being in that realm, I started at my first firm when I was 16. So even in high school, I wasn't the kind of kid that played sports or did other things. I literally went to school two days a week, and then I went to, at the time, I worked at Raymond James. So it's really something that was near and dear to my heart, and it's something that my career now is going on 12 years of experience work with literally over a thousand business owners at this point. And when I look at it, I look at all the different situations and families I've been able to touch. I think it's just one of those things that I just love it. (laughs) Hmm.
1: 16 years old. Wow. How'd you get that job?
0: I'm a huge proponent in mentors and so that I mentor quite a few people, but I eventually, you know, somebody asks you or offers you an opportunity and you say, yes. I didn't know that I was ready for it. I didn't know what a mutual fund was. I didn't know pretty much anything about the market. All that I knew was that if I was ever going to learn something, I needed to say yes. So a mentor of mine offered me the uh, introduction and I landed the interview against competition. So I competed for it.
1: <laughs> How did you get to know your mentor?
0: I'm from Michigan, uh, specifically Detroit, and I didn't really have too many people growing up around me that knew much about money. So my parents were from working background. My mother was, uh, just retired from being a social worker for a little over 40 years. So she, my mother actually introduced me to somebody that she knew that was successful in the business arena. And then that translated to being introduced to getting the introduction, essentially, to intern at Raymond James.
1: I want to touch on your company now and your background just a little bit to set the stage and then we'll spend the majority of our time talking about your real estate story and journey because that's really interesting and what you've done. $200 million worth of wealth that you decide where to allocate. This was at your previous job. How did you determine what's a good investment?
0: Well, the first thing is if we're looking at where my client base is, so I'm located out of Century City, so most of my clients are going to be Century City or Beverly Hills. So I find that a lot of my clients there already had substantial real estate portfolios. A lot of them essentially because they were born there or they have been there 20, 30 years and you know how real estate's appreciated in Beverly Hills and it goes without saying. But that being said, I focused on complementing their real estate holdings. Because what I found was through traditional markets like equity markets and international and looking to see how we could find value and things other than that, essentially because a lot of these people had great cash flow that from the real estate holdings, they have great tax benefits. But in terms of looking at planning for their next generation, when we looked at things like liquidity and also whether or not their next generation to say their kin, their children or whomever would going to inherit their assets, if they really had the inclination to actually want to kind of continue on the real estate path. So I actually work more with my client base and helping them kind of diversify their assets through the traditional markets.
1: When you diversify into traditional markets from real estate, what specifically were you looking at?
0: Well, over the last couple of years, I had been moving some of the portfolios further over to a more of an international slant which, of course, not everybody's uh, pleased with until the recent, let's say, year or so. I was looking more at seeing where we could find value abroad has been a big focus for myself over the last, let's call it, two years.
1: And where's been one of your biggest wins?
0: I'd say Western Europe, developed markets. I don't think we've won as big as we will there. And I think there's some long-term, there's still some potential to kind of Continue to explore that market. But just putting into context for your listeners, these aren't one year investments or two year investments. Just a side note. I mean, this is planning for very wealthy individuals that could potentially go into the next decade.
1: Let's talk a little bit about your company now. You started it six months ago. After working at previous company, which I assume is well-established, had $200 million that you were working on, why did you venture out on your own and how did you assess that risk?
0: As I get further and further in my career, the real risk to me was not necessarily leaving a big box firm. It was more so thinking, okay, so you know, I've been working quite a few years. Let's just say I've been pretty successful in my field. And I looked at what was my legacy or what was my thing going to be that I could give to the greater population? Because for those who don't know how wealth management works, the more successful you are, the less people you work with, in my opinion. They have bigger clients and fewer clients is pretty much the way the model works. Well, I wasn't necessarily comfortable with only going that route. So I wanted to do some other things. So one of my big influences, I heard you you interviewed Robert Kiyosaki. That was one of my biggest influences growing up. And that taught me some of my initial money lesson. I'm reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So going along that vein, I wrote a book, Money Talks. And I also have been working more on how to educate the greater population on things that I don't think they always get the information for. So when you're making that type of transition from saying you want to be in a boardroom in a big box firm, or if you want to become an influencer in your space, well, I'm working more towards the line of becoming an influencer on the space. And in doing that, you essentially have to go independent. And that gave me the choice to basically, you start over many times in life. So I'm starting over again in terms of my clientele and in terms of my focus
1: are you able to take clients from your previous company and then transition to help with the transition?
0: I will not be taking any clients. That's kind of a legal thing. In terms of this, some clients do choose to find me, I'm not not actively soliciting anyone really. I'm just continuing
1: to do the work I do. Got it. Makes sense. Let's talk about your real estate background. When did you buy your first place?
0: I was still in high school and I, like I said, I'm from Michigan. So the homes were a lot less than Beverly Hills or Southern California. So I just went into it with a buddy of mine. So it was a, they had these, these multifamily homes. They didn't cost anything. Let's call it, I don't know, seventeen twenty thousand 20,000 back then in terms of the type of home. And we always were the industrious type that, you know, put on some paint, do some other things. And, and that, that was, that was the start of it all. <laughs>
1: $17,000, even with a down payment, that's a lot more than I had whenever I was 17 years old. How'd you, was that money from your job as a 16-year-old?
0: Well, I've been working since before that. Like I said, I mentioned, like I'm not scared to work, so I can remember being a, a 13 or 14-year-old actually, younger than that, helping with other people in the neighborhood that were painting and doing other things and friends of family. And i had been saving for a long time. I've been working for a long time and I've been looking for my first big shot. So I didn't, we didn't fund all of it, but the person that was selling it let us put a down payment down and then let us kind of get our feet wet with it like that. So they owned a bunch of homes.
1: They sold it to you via seller financing? You're correct. <laughs> okay. And do you remember how much you and your, uh, was it just your buddy? Yeah. Are
0: yeah. Uh, okay. mm-hmm. I'll, I'll call it call 5,000.
1: 5,000 5, total?
0: We had some skin in the game for kids, you know, they weren't, uh, <laughs> <in it. laughs> we had some skin in the game.
1: All right. You bought that. You, I assume you both put in like 2,500 and split it 50-50. And what'd you do with it?
0: You know, we thought we would try the rental thing, but high school students, I was going to college and I was going away and we just ended up selling it. At the end of it all, I was moving and it wasn't fair to just put it all on my buddy. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those things where we jumped before we necessarily knew what we were doing. (laughs) We ended up selling it.
1: (laughs) How did you two end up with the final numbers on that? Back
0: then I would say we did well and we made money. Now that I understand the value of my time, if we take into account our own labor and how many hours we spent <laughs> working on that day, then it was a big fail. <laughs> if we were looking at if I was looking at a young Adam who didn't understand opportunity costs, yep. then yeah, we we made a couple of thousand dollars.
1: <laughs> so you sold that, you moved away. What was your next real estate purchase?
0: When I was in college, I still had the bug. You know, I still wanted to purchase. So some, but a friend of mine family was selling a home about two blocks away from where I grew up. So I bought that home and I ended up, that was just my place that I'd stay when I came back home from college and I rented the other part out. So pretty much I was maybe negative. Let's call it $150 a month. So I just thought of it as, hey, $150 I'm losing to have a place to spend time when I'm back home and not have to stay at my parents'
1: house. (laughs) So you bought a place back home that's in Detroit so that when you came home, you had a place to crash. You didn't rent it out the rest of the time?
0: No, I rented out part of it. So that's what subsidized the mortgage to where I was maybe negative $150 a month to have this extra place. I had a bunch of rooms, a family lived in it, and actually I still own that home today. Fifteen years or so later, that same family paid it off.
1: Wow. So is it a duplex?
0: It's one of those odd Detroit homes. I wouldn't call it duplex. I just call it a multifamily large home. So there was overlap in terms of living space. It's just okay. a lot of rooms and a lot of floors. So a wealthy and count the basement, like three floors.
1: Okay. How much did you buy that for and would you, what would you say it's worth now?
0: So that was another fail. That one, I would say I lost. I don't even know what it's valued at right now. I haven't looked at the Detroit market in so long. I think it's what you can get for it, to be quite honest. I think that was another loss. If I was to sell it today, I wouldn't get. We paid about 60 for it, and I don't know if it'd be worth 40 or 50 right now, in my mind, and, and this is the way I rationalize it, I don't think it was a good investment, first of all. But second of all, I guess you could say I lost that $150 or so every year for the last 15 years a month. Now, you know, being a mature, more mature investor, again, this was my second investment in college. Knowing what I know now, the opportunity cost of losing that $150 a month for the last 15 years was a definite loss.
1: How much does it rent for?
0: 500. Mhm.
1: 500. Got. It. And that same family's been renting it for 500 for 15 years.
0: Yep. Mhm. It's a little bit of a different arrangement so they take care of all maintenance, all everything. So they do everything, so including big fixes. and I and the goal is essentially just they're just going to end up purchasing it. I just haven't gotten around to doing it.
1: Okay. And what was your next purchase?
0: The next one was,
1: finally, we had a winner. Uh, <laughs> finally, we had a winner. For Did you leave Detroit?
0: <laughs> yes, that was the first mistake. Is What's that called? You know the term, Joe. I don't recall it. Um, something biased. It's a bias of when you buy something only around where you live because that's where you know. Oh, I forget yeah. what it's called. Yep. Something biased. But that's essentially what I was doing. So for the listeners, if you look at my mistakes early on, I had a bias to what I knew. So investing in what you know isn't necessarily a good thing. (laughs) There's a lot of things that have to do with where you're born and where you're at and what what market, you know. Knowing what I know now, you know, many years later, I would have never put a dime into that area. It just didn't make sense. To get back to your question, though. So I moved when I graduated college, I ended up moving to Scottsdale to work for the Vanguard Group. So that was my first job out of college in terms of the investment arena. And I looked around, looked around, let's call this 2006. So the market was flying high in Phoenix. I mean, ridiculous. Fourplexes were going for $400,000, $450,000, where the rents were literally $600. So everybody listening is into real estate, so you understand the uh, the economics behind that. Right. And then the, these fourplexes were basically, they're playing hot potato with them. And what they were doing, which I learned now the math, I kind of knew how they were driving up the market, but now I know the math behind it. What they were doing is they were taking into account the appreciation of the property with negative cash flow during that entire time. And they were using metrics from Southern California, assuming that these were going to translate to Phoenix, where the rents had never even risen in who knows how many years by any substantial margin. So that just created the big disaster, which I'm sure a lot of you know. of. So I get there 2006, and I'm priced out of the market. I'm like, you know what? There's no way any of this is worth this much. <laughs> I've learned my lesson from the last two, <laughs> not doing it. So uh, I just saved my money. I worked. I watched the market. I literally did drive-bys on homes for thousands over the next two years. It would, that was my hobby on the weekend. I literally map out a bunch of four and just start going to look at them. So I got to know the market pretty well over that next couple of years. And I didn't know the crash was going to happen as a financial professional. I will not tell you that I did. Obviously, I think most people were caught off guard. I was caught off guard. That was basically a year and a half into my second route into finance since high school. And when 2008 hit, obviously, everybody was shook. I still had a job. Everything was still fine on my side. So then I was just that much more invigorated to say, where can I get a great fourplex? So I ended up finally, you know, by 2009 finding one and I paid a little over, I think I paid 100, it was either 122,000 or 125,000. So it was one of these same fourplexes that um, that were basically being played hot potato with. I think it went for like $400,000 or something like that, the last owner. Mm. Um, just to give you an idea on what the numbers were like out there. And by the way, the person I bought it from, a dual household MBA, is extremely business smart. And just to give you an idea of how that a lot of people were caught playing this game in Phoenix. They were just over leveraged is what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. So the way this deal worked out, and I'm fighting for the day that I can get my deal better than this, is what happened was I ended up, buying a home under the first-time home buyers, because the other ones I purchased weren't for me to live in. So I did the first-time home buyers credit they did where they were giving me, I don't know, $8,000, $8, something like that. So the way the deal ended up working out is I basically got paid $3,000 to purchase this fourplex. I lived in one of the units, so it was owner-occupied, and I lived for free for many years there. On a good month, I Home seven hundred dollars passive from the investment. In a bad month, you know, I might have been down a hundred bucks, but I forgot what it was like to actually have to pay to live somewhere. So <laughs> then I fin- I finally I finally had a good one in there, Joe, to make up for the last two. <laughs>
1: oh, I bet you know about how much that place is worth now, don't you?
0: I just actually recently sold it for a little over two hundred. So I just recently sold a little over two hundred. I- I was liking the valuations in and, and Phoenix, but it was also just one of those things is, as you, as you transition in your investing and investment lifestyle, sometimes some of the, like the numbers there, great, you make a couple hundred dollars, but it wasn't even worth taking the property management off, you know, just the, the profit on that doesn't really get you too far in LA. So it was a matter of looking at kind of scaling up and what would be next. So I, I let that one go.
1: Did that coincide with your transition from W-2 income to crafty and resourceful entrepreneur and starting your own company?
0: Absolutely. It just all made sense.
1: I sold my fourth house for that reason too. Once I left my advertising job, my W-2 income, I sold my fourth one, got some money and helped fund my business to get going. So totally understand there. All right. What is your best advice ever for real estate investors?
0: Best advice ever is to get mentors. And the people that are listening to your show right now, I'm sure they that you're a great mentor to them, but I would just say get a mentor, somebody that you mesh with, somebody that's where you want to be in that particular business. And the reason I say that's the important part is because you think you want to own a bunch of single family homes and you're talking to somebody who only owns big apartment complexes, they may not know that market. Real estate's just such a, in my opinion, There's just so many niches that really get a mentor that you mess with that is doing what you want to be doing. It'll save you a lot of money in the long run. I didn't really have that mentor. Luckily, I only had a couple of small misses to start out with. But when I really think back, if I hadn't continued learning and going that route, then it could have been really bad in terms of losses of money.
1: Yeah, if you had made those first two property choices in Los Angeles and there was an extra zero on each of those, then it could have been some trouble. That
0: could take you a decade to crawl out of. That. Luckily, mine were small and I was in college, and it was you know not the end of the world.
1: You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, do it. Let's do it. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable and make a determination on the max purchase price. fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. It's almost here, February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. BestEverConference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to BestEverConference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. What's the best ever book you've read?
0: Um, best ever book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, my favorite.
1: Best ever personal growth experience. What'd you learn from it?
0: Best ever personal growth experience, Um, traveling to Europe and studying in Belgium. When I was sitting in NATO, I'm in NATO and they're telling me a story about the day before and it's kind of like, let's just say they're arguing about a policy issue. I learned at that point, the world is bigger than the United States, that if I want to really maximize my potential in this lifetime, I need to make sure that I'm keeping abreast of information abroad and here
1: best ever deal you've done real estate or business best real
0: estate deal would be the one that i mentioned the fourplex. percentage wise it's just a ridiculous deal in business the best deal i've ever done 25 million dollar client
1: and how do you make money on a 25 million dollar client
0: you make money by providing the best advice you can so what i mean by that is a client is that big they could go or do anything but what happens a lot of times in my opinion is they're not people don't really talk to them straight so meaning that's not the wealth is much greater than that 25 million but that's just the portion that was brought to my firm but when you look at what they could do it's just basically talking straight to them telling them what they don't want to hear and giving it to them quick and understanding their time and in terms of actual money, there's percentages. So you charge the percentage a certain amount of basis points on in investments you do. So it's just it's all pretty formal in terms of
1: how you make money off that. What's the best ever way you like to give back?
0: I would say spreading the concept and the practices of wealth management. So something as simple as having a plan, not everybody understands what that means. And even though that's my world and that's what I do on a daily basis, I understand my value in helping someone and teaching them. If they have a plan for their life, they're more likely to succeed.
1: What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate or business?
0: Biggest mistake in real estate were the two that we went over. Those are really the only big mistakes I've made there, but none of them really hurt in business. I would say been pretty fortunate, but it'd be incidental. I've lost clients because I didn't maybe assess the situation well enough. Earlier on in my career, I was more interested sometimes in selling a product versus seeing what exactly was going to be tailored to their situation. So I would say earlier in my career, that would have been a mistake.
1: What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? com. Adam good luck with your influencer building and industry and your relatively new venture six-month venture that you you got going based on your track record and a more traditional uh, role and thanks for sharing your stories about how you got going on your first house as a 17 year old with seller financing all the way through the last deal was that your last deal the fourplex that you purchased
0: you know, that's the last deal. And I'd say that at this point in time, a lot of, I don't know if I'm going directly in the physical individual property to taking one on myself, but I've been looking more so at partnerships. So people do a lot of rebuilds out here. So they'll purchase a home, a group of people will purchase a home together and do a rebuild on it so it typically looks like the turnaround for some of the people that I've been speaking to is about two years to get that accomplished.
1: Yeah, so from the first deal as a 17 year old to the last one that you did in Arizona to, as you just mentioned, some future things that you're doing. but I'm glad you shared the story about the tale of the two examples and really the difference being the market market cycle was and then your willingness to buy outside of your hometown where you're most familiar. And not to say, I know we've got Detroit people listening and Michigan people listening, and I was born in Flint, Michigan, so I can say that I'm not saying that Detroit's a bad area to invest in. We're simply talking about those particular properties at that point in time for those purchase prices and the numbers. So there's many ways to make money in every market and in every market cycle. We're just talking about some specific examples. I was anticipating some Detroit emails being fired at me as we're talking through this
0: (laughs) Well, hey, for the record, I still own a property there. So I didn't say it was, I just said that uh, those two properties got me.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Awesome, appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you.
1: Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, You better sign up right now. It's going to sell out, besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person, the best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person, and people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.